There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. And last week, Greg, we interviewed Chris Putnam Walkerly about all things philanthropy. And that was a fun discussion. That was fun. And it was interesting because philanthropy is one of those things that we don't talk about a whole lot, but it's such an important part of, well, I don't know, society, community, everything we do. It's definitely, I think, something that we will probably focus on a little bit more in the future. Like we should be giving back to the show, giving back to society, giving back to each other. Like we should be philanthropic. Is that what you're saying? Why not? Why not? Why not? Well, today we're going to go a different direction, but we are giving back in a way. Our giving back is to start a mini series of podcasts over the next few weeks that really tries to dig into the notion of retirement planning and funding. So we're going to try to give back through those podcasts and hopefully listeners start to create a path for themselves from what they hear on the show. And I think it's going to be an interesting few episodes as we're going to look at the traditional views, the not so traditional views, and discuss how to avoid the noise and not get caught up in the distractions. Because Greg, there's a ton of discussion about retirement funding and planning out there. I mean, there's lots of different types of shows that address it. I think one of the things that we've seen though, is that a lot of retirement planning seems to focus only on the financial aspect, only on, okay, well, when will I have accumulated enough money to retire? And the financial aspect is not that it's not important, but it's really only one aspect of it. So for instance, you, when do you plan to retire? What do you want to do? That's a funny question. A neighbor of mine who I just met, actually, we're chatting on the driveway and he asked what I did for a living and I told him and he started telling me how he was retired and he's an engineer and he went right into which stocks to own. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize had anything to do with planning your retirement. Those are two different things. Which stock should I own versus what kind of life do I want to live for the next 20 plus years? Yeah, right on. So I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, I guess I said to him like, look, I'm not too concerned about my own retirement because I have too many interests. So I've got a lot of things that will take up my time, but I know a lot of people out there don't have a lot of hobbies or interests that, so maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question, Greg. You're looking at one of them. My wife asked me, okay, so if you retire or when you retire, what do you want to do? And I have to be honest. It's like, I have things I'd like to do, but I can't imagine them taking a hundred percent of my waking time. I'm not a golfer. Yeah, I'd like to play a little guitar, maybe a little bit more. So what's that, an hour a day? I'd like to travel, but what's that? What's that? What's travel? Oh yeah. Well, it's the thing we used to do uh, in the olden days. And that's where you'd leave town and go somewhere and often on a plane. And I think certainly there's lots of places I'd like to see, but you're not going to travel 12 months of the year. So I know personally for myself, I think about it a lot. So I'm hoping to get a lot out of this podcast. Well, that's interesting. There was I guess pre-pandemic, I was reading about this woman who lives full-time on a cruise ship, and that's how she spends her later years. And the story made it sound like it was such a great life. And I just kept thinking, 
how boring would that be? Yeah. Like you're just stuck in this cabin between ports all the time. I mean, I guess it's personal preference. Absolutely. So let's dive into it. Some of the discussion that we're going to start with came from ideas expressed by a retirement expert, Barry Lavallee. He's a Canadian retirement expert, and he's spoken a lot to, well, both to people like us, advisors, but as well as to individuals about retirement. And he has a little quiz that he likes people to take, and he wants to get them thinking about some of these questions as they think about retirement. And the first question, which is an interesting one, is why are you retiring? Well, why? Well, and that's right. Some people think it's just something you do. Okay, well, I go to school until I'm 24, and then I work until I'm 60 or 65, and then I retire. And there may even be some situations where companies that you work for might have mandatory retirement ages, and so that would maybe be more of a forced retirement. But no, I think if you get beyond that, you'd have to ask the question, well, why retire? And it leads into the next question, which is, what do you like or what do you love about your job? And what will you miss most when you retire? Podcasting. Well, it could be. It could be anything. But there's a lot of people that derive a lot of satisfaction from their jobs. For myself, I mean, I enjoy what I do. I enjoy dealing with the people I deal with. I love the social aspect that we hope to get back to once COVID is out of the way, where you interact with people that you work with in the job location. And that's something that you're going to want to find a way to not give that up when you retire. There's some notion out there about purpose, like values equals purpose. And what are your core values? Truth, kindness, respect, safety, friendship, faith. What do these values mean to you? And purpose is something we deal with in working life, as you talked about, because our job can give us purpose. I guess the question is, when you don't have that job to go to anymore, then what's your purpose? Exactly. And on the other side, there's people that are working because they have to. They're just waiting for the time that they can retire. And then for them, if the job didn't satisfy their purpose or provide that to them, how will they find that in their retirement years? Well, I've had two clients in the last few years that have successfully completed Freedom 85. Two different stories. One fellow, I mean, obviously I can't tell you names and things like that or the length of the story, but he had to keep going because of financial reasons. He was forced to keep working in a company that he created. The second one, most recently, wasn't forced. He just really loved going to work. And so he just sold his company. So those are two different stories. Well, exactly. And so following on that, the next question might be, well, how will you replicate or replace the things you liked about work? You left because it was time for whatever reasons you have, but there were things that you liked about work. And what are you going to do? How are you going to replace those? Maybe you'll try to maintain some of the social connections you had at work which talks about keeping up with friends and staying in contact. Maybe taking on volunteer work because you like working, you like being out there, and maybe it's not going to be full-time, but that's something that you might think of doing. Let me ask you, though, don't you think that COVID or this global pandemic of biblical proportions has forced a lot of people to obviously work from home to start to think about those things like somebody that would have, I don't know, gone to the office, gone out for coffees, gone out for lunches, had social interactions, they've had to adapt. And certainly what's interesting is that some of those social connections have actually improved under COVID just for people that you may have lost touch with or you don't live in the same cities anymore and you used to see them once every year or two. And now with the Zoom and people starting to think about connecting in different ways other than personally, 
but again, these are just questions. And I think the key thing is, rather than just going headlong into retirement, the question really is, think about these things as you go forward. So the next question would be, what are you looking forward to most about retirement? What is it that you want to do? Typically, people will say things like, well, I want to travel. I'm looking forward to spending more time with my kids or my grandkids, maybe spending more time on hobbies or things, or getting to projects around the house that have been held off for a few years because you're just too busy with work. Yeah, but I mean, if you don't have hobbies right now, what's the chance of you developing a hobby later? Exactly right. And so there are several types of people in the world. And I think, again, trying to think about those things and actually plan for them is what will help people have a smooth transition and hopefully a very happy final third of their lives, possibly. And then speaking of planning, that leads us into the next question is what areas of your retirement actually need a plan? So what's your vision? And I think that's really getting people to visualize what retirement looks like. Imagining, okay, well, I'm now retired. I get up in the morning and I don't have a schedule. I don't have to go to the office by eight or nine. I don't kind of have to do anything. I don't want to. And so then it's more of a question of, well, okay, but what will you do? Because- Well, I know what they'll do. Being awake for 18 hours, if you don't have a plan or you don't know how you're going to spend your time, could be less fun than it seems right now when you're working. Don't you find though a lot of those people, and this isn't judgmental, it's just all of a sudden there's all this free time. So now all of a sudden everything becomes important, like BNN becomes something that you just watch every day, all day, whereas before you didn't. I don't know. Maybe it's a stretch, but I would hope that that person would instead work on a hobby. Well, that's right. And again, everyone is going to have their own individual vision of what their retirement looks like. And again, one of the areas that we talk about, and as I mentioned earlier, a lot of financial planning or a lot of retirement planning focuses on the financial side of it. How much do you need to retire? But you can't really answer that question unless you really know what your retirement looks like. How do you estimate your expenses if you want to travel 26 weeks of the year? You might need a lot more money to retire on than if you wanted to take three trips a year for two weeks at a time and things like that. And so really having that vision is so critical to be able to actually know even if the financial plan is on track. So I guess the purpose of those questions that Barry Lavallee poses is just think about retirement in more terms than just I get to not go to work because there's obviously a lot more to that. And I was just thinking of, we were talking earlier, something when my daughter graduated from grade 12 and they had their graduation ceremonies and the principal got up and and of course congratulated everyone on graduating grade 12 and moving on with their lives. But what she'd cautioned them to, don't look back on high school as the best years of your life. I think that's one thing that people should do as they look forward into retirement is like, You don't want to be looking back at your working years or the previous part of your life saying, oh, that was the best and retirement is not so good. I think what you'd like to do is craft a retirement that you look forward to and it offers you the opportunity to do things that you, whether they're bucket list items specifically or whether they're lifestyle items that is something that's going to become part of your life, whether it's some sort of hobby, exercise, activities. You want to look forward to that. I think that's far more critical or just as critical as making sure that we've got the finances available to be able to do it. 
you asked a question or you posed the question about planning and making sure you have enough money. The bare naked ladies answer that question. They do. And that they did that years ago. Yeah. I think I think there's a song coming here. Wow. This might be our first podcast song. I don't think we're gonna sing along though. Maybe not. No, but it does pose the question, how much do you need to retire with? To live that life you want to live. Exactly. And how much craft dinner you want to eat. Don't ruin the song, Greg. <laughs> if I had a million dollars. If I feel like singing along, but I'm not going to. I know. I'd advise you not to. Okay, well, the reason that I played that little clip is that when people talk about retirement, they tend to put a dollar number somewhere. It says, this is how much I need to fund whatever it is that I need to fund. Sometimes it comes from a plan. Sometimes it just comes from, I don't know, just thinking about it. And I guess I wanted to address this question, this question of if I had a million dollars. And where it came from is I had a family member who was very close to me. I won't tell you who he is, but he's my dad. <laughs> and I gave that one away. I'm still thinking. <laughs> And he made a statement one time years ago about this local kid who had a signing bonus to go play in the NHL. And the signing bonus was a million dollars. And this family member of mine said, well, I guess he's set for life. And I thought, how? At 18 years old or 20 years old or whatever you are, yeah, you got a million dollar signing bonus. But what is a million dollars? Greg, a million dollars, simple math. If you worked for 20 years and made $50,000 a year, isn't that a million dollars? You bet. So yes, it's great that this person got this million dollar bonus, but to say that they're set for life, I think is a pretty big stretch. I mean, especially if you think about how the salaried person making that $50,000 a year is in a lower tax bracket than the one-time $1 million payment. Sure. And again, aside from all of the social things, like what happens when you give an 18-year-old a million dollars. We know exactly what happens. <laughs> There's a new car immediately. Exactly. There's a bunch of parties. I don't say that in judgment. I say that as, uh, I think, fact. So when I did the math, I said, okay, look, if the $50,000 a year worker was in a, I don't know, roughly 35% tax bracket, that million dollars that they make over 20 years, they're going to end up keeping about 650000 of it, roughly. This is real rough. Sure. Math. The one-time bonus scenario with the young person that got a million at they'd be paying at the top marginal tax rate. I mean, they would have, I don't know, maybe about $100,000 less after tax than the worker that worked for 20 years. And then to your point, it's going to be spent more quickly by the 18 or 20 year old. It's just a matter of fact. It's like lottery winners. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And so that person that's earning it slowly is probably going to do something crazy, like maybe, I don't know, save some of it or invest it. Pay off debts, own their own home, whatever. So this, again, got me thinking, well, I should do a survey of this. And so I went out to social media and I also surveyed our office just for fun. And I said, look, there's no judgment on this question, or at least at the surface, there's no judgment in regards to the answers from the people who responded. But the findings were similar to the Bare Naked Ladies song. There were things like, I don't know, buy a house, buy a car. I know in the song, and we tend to reference craft dinner a lot. I don't know why. Maybe we're looking for a sponsorship. I think or that I think that's shown up in like eight of our podcasts so at far. At least eight. At least yeah. eight. But the end of the song ends with if I had a million dollars, I'd be rich. 
And after this discussion, I think it's fair to say that that term rich is very subjective. I mean, a million dollars might make someone appear rich, but it really depends on a whole bunch of things like, are the funds liquid? Are they pre-tax dollars? And other things. Well, and in all fairness to the bare naked ladies, the song is what, 30 years old now or something. So I guess with inflation, they'd have to rewrite the song as if I had $5 million now. It doesn't roll off the tongue as (laughs) easily. But in the survey, I did add some findings and I lumped the answers into four main categories. Now, I got to tell you, the sample size isn't the biggest. So I know there are people out there that say, well, surveys are bunk if the sample size is too small. But this was just a quick survey just to see from people that we were close to what they would do. So the four main categories were lifestyle, giving, debt reduction, and investment. And I didn't give any rules to the survey participants about how many answers they could give. And out of those four buckets, which bucket do you think garnered the most attention? I'm going to guess lifestyle. Well, you're reading it. Yeah. (laughs) So actually lifestyle and investment or investing were equal. 53% of those surveys would put funds towards bettering their lifestyle or investing some of the money they received. Giving, and that could have been financial giving or giving of your time or your efforts, had a 39% exposure. So 39% said they would give money and or their time back to charity and the greater good. That's nice to see. It is. And then debt reduction was 28%. So 28% said they would pay down some of their debt or all their debt if they received this million dollars. So I want to just read a couple of the exact replies I got. So it's quite a range. Kelly, who I went to high school with, (laughs) says she would pay off her mortgage, set aside money for each of her four boys in emergency accounts, send each set of parents on a vacation of their choice, fence their yard, and get another dog. Wow. That's great. That's a nice list. That's like a bucket list. It is. Then another fellow that I know said he might put it all in Tesla stock. Okay. Well, that's... that's Shooting for the fence, for sure. Now, remember, there were no (laughs) rules given to this. It was just like, if you got a million dollars, what would you do with it? Right on. Another person said, I would pay off my house, get a hot tub, finish our yard, rehire the cleaner, buy my parents a house, get a new truck and trailer and travel. Nice. So that's not bad. Yeah. They've obviously put some thought into it. Another friend from years back said, I would build an orphanage in the village where my children were born. Wow. Very profound. That's awesome. Then you get into the, well, I would buy Bitcoin with half and use the rest for renovation. Okay. Okay. And here's one that kind of cracked me up. Again, it's Bitcoin. So this is the second Bitcoin one. I'd invest half in Bitcoin and half for a Vegas vacation for a week. At the end of that week, I would put whatever I had left on black. So I guess he's referencing maybe playing roulette and putting it all on black. Well, I guess that's right. And obviously... That's a person who sees that money. Well, this is a windfall and I'll just, if I lose it all, I lose it all. That's a good point because that person is, well, I'll tell you, he's a medical doctor. He's got a good job. He probably makes a fair living. I wonder if his answer is skewed by the fact that financially he doesn't need that money right now. Whereas somebody else who's just starting or maybe has lots of debt or doesn't come from wealth probably views it very differently. Well, it's interesting how people compartmentalize. Because if you went to that person and said, why don't we just take a million dollars out of your investment account and do the same thing? It's like, well, no, I would never do that. It's way too risky. But it's like, it's the same million dollars. You know know how long it took me to make that million? (laughs) Now, here was the number one answer. The number one answer, Greg, from a guy named Ryan said, 
I'd have the CM group take care of it for me. Ah, well, finally. Finally, (laughs) Finally somebody who's really put some thought into it. (laughs) Yeah, we finally get to the truth. (laughs) So that survey was obviously done for fun, but for a reason too. Like it's just to get a gauge. Like what do people do with an extra million dollars, whether it be in their retirement plan or not? Yeah, right on. That's interesting. So it kind of leads us into a second part of our discussion, and that is how everybody sort of, when they're younger, says, well, when I retire, I'm going to do this, and I plan on retiring at this age, and somehow they formulated something. It's very different when you talk to people that are in the last days of their lives. No kidding. And they would view this very differently. So Daniel Crosby, who is going to be on our show next month. Yeah, that's awesome. A noted behavioral finance guru author and chief behavioral officer at another company, but he has his own podcast. It's called Standard Deviation. Greg, am I telling people to go listen to Standard Deviation by Daniel Crosby? No, but if they want to, I don't see why they shouldn't. Well, no, actually I am. I think it's a good (laughs) podcast. I'm definitely supporting it. They're very short segments. They're five to 10 minute segments, but I think it was his first or second episode. He did some work on a book published by somebody named Bronnie Ware. The book was published in 2012, and it was the top five regrets of the dying, a life transformed by the dearly departing. And Bronnie got this work from interviewing people as that person was in palliative care. Wow. So they were surrounded by people that were in their last days. Now, Greg, why don't you take us through the first, well, there's five. These are the top five things Remember, the top five things that people that are in their last days regret. Well, number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. That's kind of interesting. And obviously, she's combined a lot of interviews into that statement. And people may have not expressed it exactly that same way. But, I mean, it speaks a lot to how you live. People did not live their lives the way they wanted to. And it's interesting because that's a shame. And what it tells us particularly when we're talking about planning ahead and that kind of thing, is what kind of life do you want to leave or lead? And listen, we can't change what's happened so far, but you can change or have input or live the rest of your life the way you'd like to. Interesting. And it has nothing to do with putting it all in Tesla stock. No, and that's right. And that's not really living. That's just an activity. It's a transaction. Interesting. Number two was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. This one I find fascinating because... As somebody who's in the depths of their career, I don't mean depths like the despair, but just in the throes of it, there are times when you're working really hard. Like you're putting in lots of hours and you feel like you're doing things that are helping people and helping yourself and helping your family. But to read that actually really resonated with me. Like this whole idea, I don't know if you saw a few weeks back, there was an article about these Goldman Sachs junior investment bankers. Did you read that one? No, I didn't see that one. Well, it's gone to, I don't know if it's gone to like a labor court or something, but basically these young people at the beginning of their careers were being asked to work 100-hour work weeks at Goldman Sachs to, what's the term, cut their teeth or just to get involved. And this younger generation is actually pushed back and they've said, we don't want to work 100-hour work weeks to prove ourselves. And this sort of aligns with that, right? Well, and I guess it speaks to what's not expressly written there when you say, I wish I hadn't worked so hard is they would have liked to do something else, which means they sacrificed something. So what did they sacrifice? Time with their family, enjoying activities that they would have liked to do. But you hear it a lot too from the previous generations, people who have 
start companies and work their fingers to the bone and sacrifice a lot along the way, not being home to have dinner with their families and that kind of thing. So yeah, interesting. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Yeah. Don't you find that some people wear it like a badge of honor? Yeah, it's like racking up the hours for sure. Okay. This is an interesting one too, because it sort of gets totally away from physical things. It says, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. That is, has nothing to do with working 100 hours a week. No, I guess that speaks more to relationships and people that they don't say what they want to say. They don't let people know how they feel about them. Interesting. Actually, that came up in the survey a number of times. I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but there were a number of people that said like, maybe not express their feelings so much, but they do things like, this one fellow said, I buy my parents' house from them to unlock that wealth for them so they could live a better life. So it's not necessarily expressing your feelings, but it's expressing your desires. Well, it's sort of expressing your feelings with actions. You love your parents, you want to help them, and you want to see them happy. And that's, for a lot of people, we've actually had webinars on happiness, what makes people happy, and generally making other people happy is one of the greatest things. Number four is I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I can get behind this one. I've found that over the years when you get really focused on your career and raising a family and, I don't know, being involved in that, you kind of lose touch with the people that at one point were very important to you. That's right. I think COVID, for me anyways, has brought a lot of those people back into my life, which is maybe a blessing. Absolutely. Who knew there was a blessing in a global pandemic? Well, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And number five was, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Yeah, right. Yeah, no. No, why would I want to be happier? (laughs) (laughs) Why would you choose to be happy when you live your life miserably? That's actually probably the most powerful one to me. Well, and you wonder, how do people keep themselves from being happy? And probably the previous four answers all tie into that. They worked too hard. They didn't have close connections or stay in touch with their friends, that kind of thing. But what isn't on that list? There's lots not on that list. Things like, I wish I had more money. Doesn't make it. I wish I had invested in a short squeeze. Is nowhere on that list. No, that's right. And it's fairly stark warning, isn't it? That at the end of life, it's got nothing to do with money. Yeah. And I know there's been work done over the years that said, what's the number one thing pre-retirees worry about and it's usually having enough money to fund their life. And what's the number one thing people that are well into retirement worry about? Their health. Yeah, their health. Maybe that's just part of the cycle, the cycle of life. But very interesting. So listen, anybody that wants to talk to us about the findings of that survey, reach out. I found the information quite fascinating. And going back to your point at the beginning, maybe it was my point, I can't remember now, but this is a series that we're starting on this retirement series. And your point was that whatever it is, it's going to require some planning. And some of that is financial planning, but it's not all financial planning. Exactly. That's right. And we'll definitely talk more about this. Let's see, is it going to be next week? It could be next week. Oh yeah, it'll be next week. Yeah. We'll continue on this discussion. And if anybody has any areas that they'd like us to cover off, please feel free to let us know in the interim. I was going to say, We usually wrap up with a for fun part, like what books are you reading, things you do in these days. I was going to suggest a book to people. Those that are pre-retirement, a really great book is called The One-Page Financial Plan by Carl Richards. Greg, am I promoting that book? Yes, you are. You think it's a great book for people to read. Yes. And I'm sure we can find a follow-up to that for people that maybe are well into retirement that is a non-financial 
for sure. Cole's book. Yeah, right on. That was kind of a fun conversation. Yeah, it was good. Well, it gets you thinking. And for anybody who has not yet retired, we hope that it expands a little bit to thinking just beyond the numbers. Exactly. Because to my neighbor's point, we started talking about retirement and he immediately went to which stocks he owns. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. What does that have to do with anything? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, listen, well, that was fun. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2020.